At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. From KUNC and the NPR Network, this is In the NoCo, a daily slice of Northern Colorado news and happenings. It's Tuesday, January 2nd, 2024. I'm Erin O'Toole. Happy New Year. It's a fitting day to think about the future. It's the second day of the new year, and it's also National Science Fiction Day, a date commemorating the birth of the late Isaac Asimov, one of the genre's most celebrated authors. Like Asimov, a lot of us are fascinated with tales of the future. And one of sci-fi's living legends, author Connie Willis, says that's a good thing. We, I think, get to step out of ourselves and imagine worlds that are different from ours, which one of the biggest problems right now is people who are unable to put themselves in anyone else's point of view. And I think that's a major thing that science fiction does. Her newest book is The Road to Roswell. Connie Willis lives right here in northern Colorado, and she joined me in the KUNC studio to discuss the book, reflect on the past, and marvel at the future. I realize I'm sitting here with a sci-fi legend. Um, You have written at least 15 novels I What's think the... so. I never count them. So people okay. ask me and I never know, <laughs> so, which seems irresponsible of me, I guess. Uh, I, I don't know. I kind of like it. I think that's sort of a writer's you know, prerogative. I don't know. <laughs> I have also read that you have won more science fiction awards than any other writer in the genre. Before we get into your new book, which is The Road to Roswell, could we go back a few decades? Was sci-fi the genre that you started in and, and what drew you to that? You know, um, I started reading it. I happened on a book in the school library, Have Space, It Will Travel. Is that Robert Heinlein? Uh, That's uh, Robert Heinlein, Juvenile, yes. And I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with him, and then then I fell in love with all the other science fiction writers that I could find. In those days, they didn't have a science fiction section, of course, but they had— a little uh, symbol on the back of the on the spine of the book that was an atom and a and a spaceship kind of thing. Oh, so I went yeah. around the library looking for all of those <laughs> very quickly, and I discovered Bradbury and Arthur C. Clarke and Asimov and everybody. But then, real quickly, I discovered the year's best science fiction collections, which were the short stories, mm. and I just fell in love with those because I think what attracted me most to the field then was. What a variety of stuff you could do. You could do comedy. You could do tragedy. You could do love stories. You could do high adventure. You could do strange theoretical pieces that didn't really have characters. You could mm-hmm. do in which a character was the universe. or <laughs> yeah. And it just the endless variety and the endless variety of writers that were doing it, I just was just so drawn to that. I thought this is a place where I can have absolute freedom and write anything I want and not worry about it fitting into some pattern. Yeah. And I've never changed my mind about that. (laughs) You know, speaking of this, I think there's been a misconception that the majority of science fiction writers are men. And I think certainly when you look at the, you know, output of the 50s and 60s, I mean, you definitely think of white men. But it feels like maybe that's been a question of visibility for women writers and writers of color. Is that your experience? Yeah, they're... I'm often asked, how how did it feel to break into a field that was totally run by men? And I'm mm-hmm. like, I didn't. There, it wasn't. <laughs> there were always women. One of the top 
uh, editors at the time of that I was reading these years' best collections was Judith Merrill, and she was bringing in, um, you know, Mildred Klingerman and Shirley Jackson and, you know, Zena Henderson, all these women. They just didn't have quite the profile of the men. They were always there. One of the greatest early, early science fiction writers was C.L. Moore, and of course the first was was um, Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley. Oh, sure. So, so it's not like there weren't any, but I but I understand that because it, the image was, uh, and I've heard science fiction writers say, well, our, our audience is the 12-year-old boy, and so mm-hmm. that's what we aim for, and so that the people who can write that are the people who succeed. That is no longer true. It's a huge field, very diverse, and mm-hmm. and full of, oh, my gosh, now the people who write it are very, just as diverse as the field. Well, I want to talk about your newest book, The Road to Roswell, which I have heard described as a part buddy comedy road trip, part rom-com, and part alien abduction adventure. <laughs> and it, it's hilarious um, because it definitely subverts your expectations of what is going to happen. I mean, I'm thinking she's going to get beamed up here uh, any moment now. And I feel like that might surprise people who expect it to be very serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, science fiction has a lot of humor in it. You know, Douglas Adams' is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and things like Terry Pratchett's books and mm-hmm. Frederick Brown's stories. And there's there's always been a lot of humor. Yeah, But it's mostly a deadly serious kind of <laughs> uh, genre. And so humor is just sort of sprinkled in there. You know, there are a few authors who do it. I personally can't imagine writing a serious book about alien abduction. So comedy was the only way to go. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, I might have asked you if you are a believer, um, but you've, you've indicated you're a little bit of a skeptic, right? Oh, not a little bit. Oh, my gosh. The thing that was... The most interesting to me about doing the research for this book was usually when you're researching a um, a topic, you find even a con- wild conspiracy theory, you find that somewhere in there is like a little germ of truth. And you can sort of see how all the conspiracies grew from that mm-hmm. germ of truth. And no, there's Wait, nothing. nothing. <laughs> there's nothing. I did so much research and I read every book and I went everywhere yeah. and there's nothing. It's it was it's fascinating to me. Like I yeah. say, they have known since 1948 what it was, which was it, it was a cover up, uh-huh. definitely a cover up. But it was a cover up of a Cold War uh, program by the Air Force to spy on the on yeah. Russia and see if they were doing above ground testing. And it, one of them. One of their things crashed, and yeah. and then it grew from there. So that's, to me, the most fascinating, is it's not like nobody knew what it was for 15 years, and by then the conspiracy theory was firmly established. Oh, no, they knew from the very <laughs> beginning. But it didn't matter. It just still doesn't matter. Yeah. So people still talk about all these things, even though they've been all thoroughly debunked. We are talking on... National Science Fiction Day, and totally not a made-up holiday at all. Um, And I'm just wondering, what do you think, you know, why as a society do we need sci-fi? Oh, I think we need it for lots of reasons. I I think when when you read stories or or watch movies that give you possible futures, even if they're really grim futures like Hunger Games or what else is terrible, (laughs) a Blade Runner, then we think, oh, we could... We could end up here if we're not careful. You know, we could be vent for vendetta. We could definitely end up there. That's one that's looking very possible. Mm-hmm. And then also we, I think, get to step out of ourselves and imagine worlds that are different from ours, 
which one of the biggest problems right now is people who are unable to put themselves in anyone else's point of view. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a major thing that science fiction does. Plus, it's just fun. You know, it, it lets you live... It lets you go to Mars. It lets you live in the past. It lets you go places you couldn't imagine. And I think we need more and more of that. Uh, Technology is with us every day. And somebody's always saying, don't you think that science fiction is past its moment and it'll die any minute? I'm like, it will die when technological change stops having any impact on our lives, which I really don't think anytime soon is going to happen. So no. I don't think that's all it does, but I think that's a, a really cool thing it does. Connie Willis, thank you so much for talking with me today. Well, thank you. This has been great. Her latest science fiction book is The Road to Roswell. And for a chance to win an autographed copy and a gift card to Old Firehouse Books, subscribe to the In the No Code newsletter. You can do that at KUNC.org. That is it for us today here on In the No Code. Robin Vincent is our executive producer. I'm your host, Erin O'Toole. We'll be back tomorrow with more of what's happening in Northern Colorado.